Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 491 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, February 21st, 2023, and Duke now holds a victory over the Louisville Cardinals. That's what we are here to discuss. I am your host for this episode. I'm Sam Klein. I'm joined, as I usually am, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Jason, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing quite nicely this morning. Thank you very much for asking. And Donald Wine. I, too, am off to a great start this morning. So this is good. It, it, I think you guys both are feeling, just based on your introductions, the same sort of generally pleasant, uh, not overwhelmingly positive vibes that I'm feeling from this game between Duke and Louisville. The final score is 79-62. to 62. The story early in this game is that uh, Duke let Louisville get out to a little bit of a lead before they uh, before they clawed back and, and went on a run there in the middle of the first half before basically taking control, although never running away with it. It, it sort of felt like there was a point in this game where I thought, you know, the, the final score is going to be big enough that it's not going to adequately explain uh, how much Duke struggled early in this game. And then I feel like we we kind of got to a score that feels like the right final score. If that if that makes Sam, any I'm, sense, I'm I'm going to jump in. I'm going to say I, I was perfectly fine with this victory, and I'm not. I know there's a a fair degree of angst of people who are like, you know, Louisville's barely not even a top 300 team. I mean, they're awful. And frankly, the team that we played last night, the team that has been playing for the past couple of weeks in the ACC is at least a little bit closer to the Louisville everyone expected them to be this year. Their uh, you know, their recent results are pretty good and I was uh, there wasn't a single moment in the second half where we weren't up by 10 points. Uh, yeah, I mean maybe people who were expecting us to win by 30, but again, that's not the Louisville that we played. So I'm I'm more than happy with a 17 point win. I should mention that Vegas had us as an 18-point favorite. We won by 17, so we did about what Vegas expected us to do. I think what Jason felt to me the most uh, disappointing, I guess, concerning, is how well Louisville jumped out at the beginning of the game and how Duke was kind of sluggish. Yep. Knowing the struggles that Duke has had on these on these back-to-backs or or nearly back-to-backs with the, with the Saturday-Monday, uh, being back at home, the crowd, even though Duke is playing a team that's at the bottom of the conference, it didn't feel like the crowd was was out of it. It felt like it felt like the crazies were engaged. I feel like it helps that Nolan Smith was in the building because it gave people a reason like to be excited to be there early. So no reason for for the for the crazies to let up. And yet Duke is out to a a pretty slow start. There's a point in this game where Duke is losing. I think it's like eighteen to nine, Louisville. Uh, there uh, six or seven minutes into the game before they before they come storming back. So let's we, we can review all of that. Let's do the headlines first. And uh, Donald, I'm going to let you go first. Did you did you pick a listener headline or did you come with your own ammunition today? No, there was quite a few headlines. So I'm going to list a few of them and and let's see if you guys had a couple of these because I know there were some good ones out there. Uh, let's start with Mark Esselstein. Um, and I apologize if. There, mispronouncing his name esselstein esselstein uh I, I hopefully that's the right one but he goes a couple of folks donald have started sending us the pronunciations with their yes. emails which i very much appreciate if you are on the fence you might as well tell might us as well like you know klein rhymes with 
whatever Klein rhymes wine. with. Wine. Uh, <laughs> wine. Klein rhymes with That's right. <laughs> um, but yes, yes, we do appreciate those. But Mark says, despite L, E-L, Elville gets the L. So there's a lot of alliteration, a lot of puns there. Um, we also had Clinton Weaver, and we had a lot of puns dealing with just Louisville or the Cardinals, or in this one, he goes upset not in the cards for Elville. And again, L being spelled as an L Ellis Highlander. Highlander had a good one. He goes, no surprises as Duke shuffles cards out of Cameron. And then we have Courtney Kruger who goes young blocks and Cameron rocks, then Proctor threes and Louisville fleas. So I thought those are pretty good. That last one from Courtney Kruger, I feel like I would like to try saying a few times fast, but I, I'm not going to do it here. I'm, I'm going, maybe I'll try it's it offline. Early. Jason, did you have any headlines that stood out? Yeah, there were two others I liked, and and uh, Donald already took a, a few of the ones I enjoyed. Um, I I thought Chris Bynum uh, reflected what a lot of people had for this, which is they took the Louisville cards as in card play, and Chris said Blue Devils have the winning hand as they trump the cards for their twentieth win, and then Ron Ron Para. Duke is rolling. Much love for Nolan. I, I just like the fact that we could shout out Nolan Smith. Great to have him back in Cameron, even if this has been a really struggling season for him. The one other email that I uh, that I really liked that wasn't specifically a headline, and maybe we'll get to this in the good, is Jonathan Bowe sent us that he wants to start calling Shire Mr. ATO, as in uh, after timeout. After timeout. I, yeah. I love that. The, the after timeout plays that John Shire was calling yesterday and that the broadcasters had picked up on and, and were talking about, I think, in, in glowing terms, particularly uh, given that John Shire is a disciple of another expert in the ATO play. I, I feel like we are seeing more and more glimpses of John Shire uh, putting his stamp on the program. And uh, like last night, the the ball movement and the way that these guys were pushing the pace and you know, looking for each other in the, I feel like this is the offense that John Shire has been trying to build for a while and, and full credit to him. I mean, if, if the team is, appears to be peaking at the right time or at least coming into their own at the right time, which is what it certainly looks like is happening. I mean, that reflects in the coach in a pretty, pretty big way. And for people who don't remember before Mike Krzyzewski was, was rolling out 30 win seasons left and right, Back in you know back in the eighties and early nineties, Duke teams were known for peaking at the right time, and it appears John Shire may be getting that right. And you know what? A lot of the national media is saying the same thing. They're talking about how you know as we look towards the NCAA tournament, and people start kind of prognosticating who's in, who's out, who's in the bubble, who's the seventh seed, or whatever. They're saying that wherever Duke lies is we're one of the few teams in the in the tournament right now that people should fear because we're playing our best basketball at the right time. Maybe this is our first topic in the good, which is, which is John Shire's uh, coaching here, particularly given the dynamics that we talked about with Nolan Smith being on the other sideline. We, we know that, that Louisville was going to come in with as much knowledge as anybody, if not the most knowledge of any opponent this year about what Duke was going to do. And it still feels like to both of your points that John Shire is, is tinkering with the game plan. You know, the announcers said that they were talking about, oh, you know, I'm sure they got a great a great scout from Nolan Smith. Ha ha ha. And everybody was laughing and stuff. I I don't know that that's necessarily true. How well does Nolan Smith know this current Duke team? He knows Jeremy Roach. 
I guess he guess he knows Jalen Blake's a little bit. Jalen Blake's didn't play in this game. I mean, John Shot. Uh, sorry, not John Shot. Nolan Smith doesn't doesn't know Kyle Filipowski. He doesn't know Ryan Young. He doesn't know Derek Whitehead. He doesn't know Derek Lively. I thought this was sort of an overblown kind of commentator thing that that I'm not sure I trust. Jason, I'm going to disagree with you because I, I, we don't know all the ins and outs of exactly when Nolan decided he was going to leave Duke. Right, he recruited. Season. He recruited. And them, so, yeah. and so, he was at least part of the recruitment here. So he was talking about, all right, what's the, you know, what are the implications for all of these guys' careers coming here, playing together? Uh, I'm sure they had discussions about this, even if Nolan maybe knew, even at the back of his mind, that he wasn't going to be part of this team. And then the other thing is that I'm sure just as a as an alum and as someone who's plugged in, he's, he's, he follows everybody on social media. He kind of know. I assume that Nolan Smith knows what's going on at Duke, even if he is not, you know, part of the program actively anymore. And all that being said, he knows John Shire. And, and I'm sure that that he and John Shire have had discussions about the the kind of coaching styles that they intended to take from Coach K, the kind of stuff that they would improve on. Uh, you know, you're not I, I don't think you're a good uh, learner of, you know, from whoever your your teacher is, if you don't sort of look holistically at all the things they're teaching you and sort of uh, decide consciously, I'm going to continue this part of their program and I'm going to discard this part or I'm going to change this other part. So uh, I, I, I think that it's good work by John Shire, even if it's against an opponent like Louisville, that even if they've been playing, you know, better recently is not it's not one of the better teams in the ACC. Let's uh, let's go to other sort of good topics. And Donald, I want you to start because I know that you've got the topic that I am I am most excited about, which is the fact that Duke does not commit a lot of turnovers in this game. One of its lowest uh, turnover marks of the season. Look, we have talked about turnovers all season. We have ragged on the fact that they need to take care of the basketball and that they have not done so uh, a lot this season. So I'm going to start by saying. Thank you for having a game where it felt like we relatively took care of the basketball. Six turnovers is something we I'll I'll take that any time of the week. You know, six turnovers is not that much uh, in two halves of college basketball. So I really enjoyed the fact that they were looking for each other. And and Jason, I know uh, you want to talk about ball movement. The ball movement, you know, doesn't happen if you don't have the basketball in your hands. They were taking care of the basketball, but they're also getting it. And it means they were putting everybody in good situation for success. All five starters had 10 points or more. Like the ball movement had a lot to do with that, Jason. And I think also the fact they were looking for each other and finding each other in good spots. And they were making great decisions with the basketball. And that's why we had, you know, even though we had the slow start, we were able to turn it on because we were able to have those possessions end with two points. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're talking about no turnovers. I'm talking about ball movement, really talking about the same thing, which is that Duke handled the ball well on offense, made smart decisions with the ball. This was a team that had seven assists on the first seven buckets. They ended up with 19 assists and just six turnovers. Every player who played had an assist in this game. And, and all that passing and all those good shots led to really balanced scoring. Donald, you mentioned all five starters in double figures. We also had Jacob Grandison getting nine points off the bench. Duke ends up shooting 54% on two-point field goals, which is a really good number for this team. This is a team that struggled to get to that 50% mark on two-point field goals throughout the season. The other thing we did was all the ball movement resulted in a lot, a lot of open three-pointers. And uh, that is something, look, uh, you know, Duke has struggled on threes all year. 
And it hasn't been that we've been taking bad three-pointers. Like, you watch Carolina play. You watch the shots that Caleb Love and R.J. Davis puts up. You watch some of these other teams, and you go, well, that, you know, whether it went in or not, that was not a good shot that they just took. Jason, these are like... don't say that... Huh? I'm sorry. These are these aren't like 25 foot, you know, hand in the face fall back, yeah. step back threes that we're taking or that we're missing. We're missing ones that were like, oh man, if there's nobody within you know 20 feet of us, and we're missing those at least early in the season. We were we're we're, we're missing shots that should be taken. That the coach would tell you take that shot. I don't care if you miss it. You're supposed to take that shot if you are that open. If we work the ball to you in that kind of way, and and it was frustrating for a while, but. In recent games, it starts to feel like, you know, it's coming around. And, and and look, it may be, I sort of feel like this Duke team is probably like a 35% or so three-point shooting team, which is about an average three-point shooting team nationally. And for a long stretch of the season, they were shooting about like 31%. Well, maybe we're in a stretch now where they're going to shoot close to 40% to balance things out. I mean, that's, if you're a 35% team from three, you're going to have some stretches where you shoot 30%. You have some stretches where you shoot 40%. Maybe we are now in a stretch where Duke's going to shoot 40% with some degree of regularity. It, it makes a big, big, big difference. I don't know if that's how the percentages work, but but I, I appreciate at least your optimism for it. And maybe this is a moment, Jason, where we can highlight some of the guys that were making the threes for Duke. Tyrese Proctor has has really evolved into a great three-point shooter it seems like recently for Duke, he, he's gotten a lot more comfortable with his shot. Uh, his his three pointer was one of the highlights from from the other night, and and last night he's four for eight from beyond the arc. And as you mentioned, Jacob Grandison off the bench, three for five um, for all nine of his points coming on three pointers. So it's great to see that some of those guys, and and let's even considering a a down night relative to his extremely hot shooting recently by Derek Whitehead. Yeah, look, Whitehead was due for I, – I was going to put this in the bad, but we can mention it now. After – I think I said the other day, Whitehead was shooting like close to 70% on three-pointers over like the past three games or something absurd like that. So uh, he was due for a game where he missed some. Just the law of averages tell you that was going to happen. Tyrese Proctor, by the way, is now six for his last 12 three-pointers. And, and this from a guy who – he's now hitting close to 31%. On his threes, he was down at like 25% for most of the season. So it's been a, a big step up for him. You know, Jeremy Roach, I, I want to talk about him for a minute because his 14 points, his six assists, I thought really, you know, helped us get back into the game and also helped us put, you know, put them away down the stretch. I think Donald, wait, you missed the biggest number on Jeremy Roach. 14 points, six assists. Zero, zero turnovers. turnovers yes um and, and it's not and, and he's had been injury or not injury prone turnover prone uh the past few games as well but you know the rest of the team has as well so i'm not going to bag on him individually for that but um i do like the fact that he was able to move the ball around and really set the tone from a leadership standpoint when he was on the floor and you know making everyone get involved into the offense like you said everybody had to assist but the fact that he had six of them and was able to take care of the basketball, I thought was incredibly, uh, incredibly efficient and also led to our success single-handedly. You know, regarding Jeremy Roach, we've, we've talked, you know, several times about the fact that he can be, you know, he's sort of Jekyll and Hyde from half to half. He only has two points in the first half. He had 12 points in the second half. And that included uh, down the stretch uh, in the final six minutes, he had eight points 
you know, as that game was sort of kind of maybe a little bit too close for comfort, Jeremy Roach is the guy who again and again made sure that the Duke lead stayed in double digits. Can I also say, uh, as a good, um, when we get to favorite play, there are a lot of candidates for favorite play. There was a lot of exciting moments in this basketball game. Oh man, did we have a ton a lot of, of highlight dunks. reels? We had a ton of dunks in this game. Dunks, yeah. I mean, look, honestly, like dunks. If you if there's a couple of plays where dunks may not be the favorite play, like I get it because there was a lot of plays where uh, Duke was make was playing exciting basketball. And it's not like they don't play exciting basketball, but this last night, not only was it a little bit relaxing towards the end, it was also exhilarating because. They had the knack for finding everyone for the spectacular play. And that's not something we get a lot of in games, but there were a lot of spectacular plays in this one. You know, going back to Jeremy Roach, one of the other things I noticed at the end of the game, he was doing the the post-game interview with the sideline reporter and, uh, you know, says all the right things. She asked him at one point, uh, you know, talk to me about basically about Tyrese Proctor. And he hesitated for a second because I could feel a little bit of the, who's the point guard on this team tension going on because uh, Proctor has clearly <laughs> taken that, that role from Roach uh, at least in terms of like taking the ball up. Although in this game, Roach has uh, Roach has six assists to Proctor's three, but he handled that. I thought with a lot of poise and I could see a guy like Proctor who has had some ups and downs in his time at Duke or Roach rather having who's had ups and downs in his time at Duke feeling like put off by the fact that Proctor has gotten the ball in his hands a lot more than Roach has this season, but he's playing the the role of leader on this team perfectly. I want to talk about a couple other players who had, who had good performances here. And one of them that I know Jason wants to talk about is, is Mark Mitchell. Jason, before I throw it to you, my observation on Mitchell is that, you know, it's great that he has been playing so much better the last couple of weeks. I wonder how much of it is, like the, the 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 bad version of his of his improved performance would be he's doing it against maybe lesser competition. He's doing it against Louisville, against Syracuse teams that are not expected to make the NCAA tournament. On the other hand, the other thing that I was that I was worried about with Mitchell is that he's had kind of shaky performances, and now Derek Whitehead is back from injury and is at least hitting his shots, even if he doesn't seem like he's fully in sync yet. And that Mark Mitchell would become dismayed at the fact that Whitehead is eating into his minutes. That does not appear to be the case for Mark Mitchell. He seems to have found some level of focus, whether that's because he's great against playing the zone, uh, whether that's because he's figured out the defensive rotations for himself. But it feels to me, Jason, like Mark Mitchell has made a lot of strides the last couple of weeks, and that continued to show yesterday. Yeah, well, it's very clear that Mark Mitchell listens to this podcast and is a big fan of the DBR podcast because he was clearly inspired by me bagging on him a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and saying that I thought he should that he would not be a starter for much longer uh, since that basically since that comment Mark Mitchell has been playing the best basketball of his Duke career I thought he had a, a, another really strong first half remember he was really strong in the first half against Syracuse again in this game I thought he was really strong in the first half he, he's a guy who uh, he was getting boards crashing the lane hard and, and getting a lot of dunks as a result of it being just super active using his athleticism and uh and motor to to make a difference in this game played i thought he played great defense as well we've talked a lot about the offense ball movement and things like that i actually thought duke had an outstanding defensive game we forced louisville into difficult shots mark mitchell derek whitehead tyrese proctor and jeremy roach i saw all four of those guys working really hard fighting through screens staying in front of their men 
you know, just doing the right thing when uh, when Louisville was trying to put pressure on us on the perimeter. Derek Lively, of course, was again great on defense. I mean, good Lord, what a difference maker. You cannot talk about the Duke team today and the Duke team of a month, month and a half ago in the same breath because of the difference that Derek Lively has made uh, from a defensive standpoint. Somehow, I, I don't know who's doing the official box scores, but every single game, like they said he only had two block shots in this game. That's like, that's an absurd number. There's no way he only had two block shots in this game, Derek Lively. But his ability to, to be a terror in the lane and hedge screens, it, it just felt to me like Duke... Duke's defense has it just it's it's outstanding. Jason, you know, I feel like I feel Louisville like you didn't get to accusation a couple times about the official scorer and and Derek Lively's blocks in your notes for the next couple of games. Can you just I need to I need to make note of it. You're right. Just, I'm going to note all the right. note all the timestamps on all of the on all the Derek Lively blocks and I will. and let's uh let's compare because on the one hand, I find that you are uh vaguely uh, inclined towards conspiracies. On the other hand, uh, I feel the same way, and I'd like to think that I'm more clear-headed. So uh, take me along on your ride. I, 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 I'd like to jump on the train. I, I actually think a lot of it is that he doesn't necessarily get a block, but you can tell that he has impacted the shot and impacted whether or not the shot goes in, and maybe it feels like that should be a block. I mean, you see guys go in the lane against him, and suddenly they're like, oh, I need to shoot this an extra six feet in the air. <laughs> I have always advocated for the fact that in, you know, in the NFL and in football, you have a half sack, right? If two guys bring the bring quarterback down, they both get credit for that sack and they just split it. They should have half blocks because there's definitely times where he either alters a shot or there was a couple last night where it felt like him and someone else was also getting their hands on the ball. And the official score is like, I don't know who to give this to. So I'm just going to, I don't know, give it to the team, I guess. Uh, so yeah, if I feel like if there was half blocks, Lively would be averaging like eight blocks a game. Jason, talk to me about Ryan Young's performance. He it feels like he's he's starting to to settle into the role that we anticipated for him at the beginning of the season, where Filipowski and and Lively are the starters. But Ryan Young has become you know one of the most comfortable backups that we have seen at Tuke. So I I can't believe that in back to back games we're going to talk about Ryan Young just packing the hell out of some dude. <laughs> And Ryan there was Young. one, and there and there was one that he got a foul call, and I was like, and I know Ryan Young wanted to argue it, but he kind of had, you know, he kind of grabbed the ball and kind of slapped the ball and turned around, and you could see his face was like, oh no, I got that man, and they call a foul on him. I was so upset for him. Yeah, but he he gets two just ridiculous pack jobs in like the final final three minutes or so of this game again when it was you know kind of a little bit close, gentlemen. I have got a stat for you. You ready for this? Did you guys look at the plus minus? No. Oh, oh boy. Ryan Young. So Ryan Young plays 14 minutes. His plus minus is plus 24. That's a ridiculous number. He was plus 24 in his 14 minutes on the floor. I mean, that's just crazy. And a, a lot of it was that that I thought his his rebounding was just outstanding. Like that man fights for rebounds just like nobody else on this team. He had three offensive rebounds in in his 14 minutes. Uh, Duke, by the way, in this game, uh, again, comes close to the 40% offensive rebounding rate. We were at 38.7. It's just really tough to beat a team when when they're grabbing four out of every 10 shots that they miss. <laughs> and and as a result, Duke dominated second chance points 16-6. But I, I feel like a lot of that was, was Ryan Young. 
and I just can't get enough of a plus 24 in 14 minutes of playing time. I know plus minus can be very deceptive, but Ryan Young had a huge number. By the way, when we when we get to the bad, there's someone on this Duke team who has a really bad plus minus number that I'm going to talk about. So if that's it for the good, uh, let's take a quick break and we will be back to discuss the bad from Duke's game against Louisville. Stick around. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional, licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. We are back and we are talking about the bad. Jason, I'm going to let you go first because I know let, let's stick on the, the plus minus topic. Uh, who from this game delivered the the worst performance, at least in terms of plus minus for Duke? Well, so the guy who had the worst number was Derek Lively at minus seven. Uh, and but I don't feel like Lively. I feel like that may have just been, you know, he got caught at the wrong moments. <laughs> in the game. <laughs> Although there were a few times that, uh, you know, we were talking about Lively's block shots. There were a few times that, that Lively and Kyle Filipowski both went for the block shot and neither one of them got it. And it meant that there was a Louisville big man, like underneath the basket, just getting an easy put back. And, and, and you know, it's, it's tough for, it's tough for big men to, to discuss and decide, Hey, I'm going to go for this block. You don't go, you know, obviously it, it's hard to have that kind of level of communication. So that's going to happen occasionally, but I did notice that a few times, but the, the person who I wanted to talk about, who I thought had a troubling plus minus was Kyle Filipowski, who is minus two. He, he, he did not have one of his better games. I'm not sure if you guys noticed this down the stretch. Kyle Filipowski was not playing for Duke in the final, like five minutes or so. John Shire, I think, had noticed that Flip was struggling in this game. We talked about turnovers earlier. Duke only had six turnovers. Three of those six turnovers were by Kyle Filipowski. All three of them, I think, were pretty egregious, like trying to dribble his way in traffic. Like he tries to go behind his back when he's dribbling in traffic. Man, that's that's tough for like a great dribbler to do. And Kyle, Kyle's a very, very good dribbler for a guy who's 7-1. But uh, dribbling behind his back in traffic is just causing big problems for him 
Uh, he had, I do want to say flip had some really sick spin moves in the second half at times, but those loose turnovers are, are, are a problem. And like I said, Shire decided that flip wasn't the guy to be in there down the stretch. He, he went small, both Mitchell and Whitehead were playing late in the game as Duke, as Duke's two forwards and, and with uh, Ryan Young and Derek Lively at centered. And I, I just, you know, this was not flips game. He, he had the least minutes of any of the starters. Uh, in fact, Derek Whitehead even topped him a minute, so Flip was sixth in minutes. Considering he is Duke's best player, considering he's you know a first-team All ACCer, for for John Shire to decide that Flip should not get more minutes than even one of the guys off the bench, I think is indicative of what was a struggling game for him. He he also struggled on defense. I thought Flip Flip was the one like Duke played great defense, other than Kyle Filipowski, who seemed to he had trouble on screens and and he was letting his man get the ball in the wrong spots. Ken Hepps, one of our emailers, uh, and he asked us, why does Flip continue to insist on on dribbling behind the back? It feels like he turns the ball over about 80% of the time when he does it. It is an instance of of sort of the curse of being the most overall offensively skilled guy on the team is that Filipowski feels, one, like he has to do stuff like this, but also, two, like, you know, he's got he's to keep the mantle. And so there's something to be said for, like, Hey man, I'm 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 trying to get better and and make these things happen live in games just like everyone else is. The problem is that it stands out especially relative to his usually stellar play when he makes these these silly turnovers. He's I I, I think you mentioned this Jason, he he leads the team in turnovers. He he he's half of the turnover responsible for half the turnovers last night for Duke 3 of the 6. So uh, hopefully uh he he sits down in front of that film and and puts a little bit more chalk on his hands for the next game because he's got to hang on to the basketball. Donald, talk to me a little bit about uh, about Duke's scoring inside. I, I know that they had a, a pretty good night from two, but there were a good number of missed easy shots at the basket, and that's not just Filipowski. We're talking about a, a number of other guys on the team. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? Because, Jason, as you mentioned in the good, we shot like 55% from two-point, which is pretty good. This is, you know, especially given for our team, that's what we've – uh, we've been striving for this year, but it feels like we left a lot on the table, right? Because we missed a lot of bunnies. We left a lot of layups. We missed a couple of dunks. Um, you know, Tyrese Proctor for as great as he shot from beyond the arc, he was four for eight. He was zero for five from two point land. Um, and a lot, we're not talking like, you know, 16, 17 foot jumpers. We're talking layups or close shots that he missed at the rim. And it's just about, you know, for me, is about concentration. But the problem with missing these bunnies is that it leads to our shooting droughts. We had four shooting droughts last night where we missed at least four shots, and those shooting droughts went at least two minutes. That's eight minutes of basketball where we were not scoring baskets. And ironically, last night, a lot of those... Sh- Dude, one, those- of the, one of them went for five minutes all by itself. <laughs> right. And, and a, a funny thing is, a lot of those shooting droughts last night ended with three-pointers, which is not something that you know, we usually do. It's usually us hitting a dunker or getting an and one and going to the rim. And then we're finally broken free of it. But it, it was weird because as great as we shot from inside the, inside the arc, I thought we left a lot on the table and, you know, yes, last night was Louisville. We cannot do that against a better team. They will take advantage of it. And we've seen that when we have scoring droughts or shooting droughts, that teams take advantage of that and they can creep back into a ball game we're entering the point in time where we're playing good teams from here on out. The, 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 the meat of our, our, of our terrible schedule part is gone. We had Notre Dame. We had Louisville. 
we now have games that we need to win to secure, you know, better seeding in the ACC tournament, better seeding in the NCAA tournament. And every team is going to be gunning for us because we can still be considered a signature win for them. We got to make sure we're hitting our, our, our easy shots. If we miss our difficult shots, I'm okay with that, but don't miss the easy ones. I counted, I counted four misses at the rim in the first three and a half minutes of this game. Uh-huh. And, and uh, you know, several of them were, were pr- really easy. I mean, it, it wasn't like these were hotly contested shots at the, uh, at about the six minute mark of the first half, six minutes left when Mark Mitchell missed that wide open dunk on a, you know, on a follow. I was like, I was ready to pull my hair out. I was like, I, I can't believe that this team is doing this. We probably should have won this game by 25 plus points. If we merely made a mild percentage of our bunnies at the rim, by the way, folks, Go back and listen to DBR Bites. Uh, was it number twelve or number thirteen? I did an extensive deep dive on how bad Duke is shooting at the rim. We're not atrocious. We're not like worst in the country, but we got some guys who really need to clean up their act when it comes to shooting around the basket. And I talked in the first segment about Drake Whitehead's performance and how, yeah, it's a bummer that he didn't make his threes here. He's one of the guys that uh maybe this is comfort coming back from injury but clearly needs to be a bit more focused when he's near the rim that's not a you know it, it's a mild concern for this year but it's definitely an issue if he's in the NBA and he's he's missing the easy baskets cuz there are no easy baskets in the NBA donald you mentioned looking ahead at the schedule i think it's interesting to note that as you said duke's got tough games i think left on the schedule virginia tech is sort of the lowest rated team that that Duke has left on the calendar and Duke lost to Virginia tech earlier this season. So uh, there are, there's, there's payback in store for Virginia tech and for NC state. And then of course Duke finishes the season at North Carolina. So uh, three teams that are all, you know, either fighting for NCAA tournament seating or for, you know, entrance into the NCAA tournament. A couple of those teams like NC state that Duke is fighting with uh, for, for their position in the in the conference record so a lot of games of intrigue here at the end of the regular season and quick sidebar i know jason is going to be at the game against virginia tech on this coming weekend um i just got a press pass for the game against nc state next week so i'm trying to figure out how to get down to there and then for those of you who are going to the dean dome on the fourth i will be there as well so uh you're coming up in a stretch where you're going to have the dbr podcast represented at the next three games, uh, hopefully. Um, so that's going to be pretty good. That means I, I feel like we're undefeated. Or uh, no, I'm sorry, no, we're not undefeated. Oh no, oh no, I went I, to the Clemson game. You I went, went to, to the Miami game. game. <laughs> so wait, have I only have I seen the only win in person? No, I I, I went to the Georgia Ohio Tech. State game. Okay, uh, Georgia Tech. So, yeah. Okay. And and so no, we're we're. I, I think we're just we're, we're just right around in line. Yeah. So nothing, we need to, nothing so, out of the ordinary. But I feel like we're we're I like five hundred like, or we're a little, we're a little above five hundred. I feel like we're we're our press row our press row game is heating up as as the team does as we enter March. <laughs> I, I, hey, let me do a real quick thing. This is neither good nor bad, but it is worth mentioning. Guys, is is it just me? Is Corey Alexander like one of the worst color guys around? He's he's terrible. He loves to he loves to talk. But he never has anything. I, I just I can't recall the last time Corey Alexander said something that was enlightening. There was a moment in this game. So right at the end of the half, Louisville hit a shot from the corner. The refs called it a two point shot, and as they went to break at halftime, they showed the Louisville player with his toe clearly on the line, like it was not a three. And Corey Alexander goes, "You can see. Looks to me like there's plenty of space there. Looks like that's going to be a three pointer." 
And I'm just like, I swear, Corey Alexander, like, doesn't watch the replays or something. I don't understand that dude. He's he's terrible. I I, I, I don't understand. I don't understand why Corey, why we get so many Corey Alexander games. He's awful. I offer you Randolph Childress, who does not actually talk about the actual game. He just talks about all the times he beat Duke when he was playing for Wake Forest. So that's who I offer. I would say that Corey Alexander is mostly interested in talking about the old ACC more than he is in talking about the current ACC. Mm-hmm. So they they have that in common. Uh, they've, and they've done games together where Corey is on the play-by-play and Randolph Childress is the color commentator. So, uh, Oh, my God. Yeah, those it's are fun. Look. The, mute, the mute button was made for those games. I uh, I do like how overtly Corey Alexander is just like, I just really like people from Virginia, which is such an arbitrary <laughs> thing. Uh, like, like how many times did we have to hear about how far Leesburg is from Durham? Because that's where uh-huh. Jeremy Roach is from. Uh, they even asked him about it in the postgame interview, which like so irrelevant, but whatever. <laughs> I, 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 I. I don't necessarily mute the games, but I, I I definitely only like go in and out with what the commentators are saying. Uh, so, Jason, you just got to you got to let that go, man. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, the truth is <laughs> I'm never going to be happy. I wouldn't have bothered to mention it other than that that just blatant moment at the end of the first half when when he's like, yeah, it looks like his foot's behind the line. I'm like, are you watching the same replay I'm watching? His I, I missed the, the replay line. and I heard him say it looks like his foot's behind the line. So I was like, oh, I guess. Uh, Louisville's going to have 34 points at halftime. And then I looked up and Louisville still had 33 no, and, no. and they didn't, they didn't come back to the topic at all. So uh, weird guys, let's, let's pick our favorite plays from this game and get out of here. Uh, Jason, I'm going to let you go first. So I got two nominees. I can't decide which one of these I want to pick. So the first one is the back-to-back dunks in the first four minutes on back-to-back plays. Kyle Filipowski, fed Derek Lively for a dunk. And then like the next trip down, Derek Lively fed Kyle Filipowski for a dunk. I was like, that's a lot of fun. But I think I'm going to go with about three and a half minutes left in the first half. L. Ellis goes in the lane, gets his shot blocked by either Derek Lively, Jacob Grandison, or Mark Mitchell. One of those three guys, maybe all three of them. I think all three of them blocked it at the same time. Anyway, uh, Tyrese Proctor grabbed the ball, throws it ahead to Jeremy Roach, who throws a sick lob to Mark Mitchell for the slam. And if you recall, the way this play began was Mark Mitchell blocking the shot. So I think Mark Mitchell made it from one end to the other, like instantly. That's my favorite play. This is the play that I was talking about for the reason for the half block, because I'm pretty sure Lively got credit for that block, but there was three guys involved in that play. Uh, I'm taking the same play. That was the one that that stood out to me where I was like, you just you, you don't see plays like that very often where there are two phenomenal passes. And when Proctor is throwing the pass to Roach, he's like already pointing at the rim for like, go get the, you know, like, like, go get the alley-oop because because it is. The, I mean, it, it felt Donald, you tell me if I'm wrong here. You're the expert. Uh, th- this felt like a classic like soccer setup where you're like getting the guy in the corner. And as you're doing that, the guy who's actually going to be scoring the ball is streaking directly at the. Uh, at the goal. Yeah, it's, it was the it was the pass before the pass and, and you know, kind of seeing, you know, how the play can develop. And you're like, if you just get right there, I don't even have the like, I don't think Roach had the ball yet when he was kind of like, yeah, just go right there because he knew the ball was coming to him. And it was a very quick, uh, very quick alley-oop for the dunk. But hey, guys, by the, by the way, the, the thing I loved about that play when Roach threw the ball, I was like, who's he throwing that to? Like, I, I don't even think Mitchell was on this. And then Mark Mitchell comes flying in there. Uh-huh. It was it was it was great. 
So, guys, I, I really love that play. I actually want to offer up two plays, um, two other plays. So the 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 honorable mention I have was at uh at the thirteen thirty nine mark in the second half. We missed a free throw. I forgot who missed the free throw, but Ryan Young got the offensive rebound over three Louisville dudes and kicked it out to Granson, who hit a three pointer. I thought that was great. My play of the game actually is a is again a, a double series of plays. It was in the second half, seventeen forty six mark. Flip did that spin move and then had a dunk. At that the was other sick. End, which was that sick. Was sick. As everyone's celebrating, they go back down the floor, and Derek Lively just absolutely jams up the layup, two handed block, and on top of that, got the jump ball and the possession arrow was going Duke's way, so it turned into a turnover for us going the other way. So uh, I like that. I always like the plays that end up where there's something happening on both ends of the floor. That was that was my favorite one, but I do enjoy uh, the the alley oop in the first half. There was a lot of those. Keep that Kyle Filipowski play in mind every time he awkwardly dribbles the ball away at like like in the middle of the paint because no wait 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 spin moves are one thing that was oh, that was a great spin move but it's it's different when you're dribbling <laughs> this is what i'm saying is that is that you have to if we're going to set you know we, we we can we can dog on you have to be fair you have to dog on him for the times when it doesn't work and you have to celebrate him for the times that it does and whichever of those is like the one that you're oriented to i guess is is whether you overall feel good about kyle filipowski's <laughs> ball handling so i i have to admit that when I, you know, we divide, I have a piece of, you know, a, 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 a document where I, where I put all my notes and I have a section for the good and a section for the bad. And I was like, Kyle Filipowski with some six spin moves. Kyle Filipowski needs to stop losing the ball on his spin moves. And I was like, am I putting this in the good or the bad? I can't. No, you're right, Sam. It's, it's tough. It's tough. You got it. You got to, you got to take them both. Cause th- this is the, the player that he is. And hopefully, uh, you know, he's, he's focused on, on the times when he succeeds in these plays and not the times when he fails. So I think that is going to do it for, uh, for us here. Stay in touch with us. DBR podcast at gmail.com. We will be back very soon. We have to, we have to give you a preview for the upcoming Virginia tech game. Duke's got only return games now for the rest of the season and, uh, has an outside chance. I think still at getting, uh, the double buy, although, although it seems like Duke is firmly sort of on track for the for the single buy in the ACC tournament so we'll be back to talk about all of that and more very soon for Jason Evans for Donald Wine I am Sam Klein this has been episode 491 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast Duke Band take us home